Um, I want to talk to you today, and it, and it comes out of Colossians, but I want to talk to you about this idea of shadow to substance. Now today is historically in the church, it is what we call Palm Sunday. Um, and and it, we look back to the, what's called the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. Any of you remember um, going to Sunday school and learning about Palm Sunday? I can remember way back when I was a kid. And back in the day, um, I don't know if they did this with you, Bobby, in your church, but they would give us these little palm branches, all right, and we would, we would wave the palm branches. I remember one Palm Sunday when my Aunt Faith was here before she moved away to South Carolina and rejected us all. <laughs> Looking at my cousin there. Um, she had the kids for junior church and nursery, and she had them uh, make these palm branches. And when we came out of church, those kids lined that sidewalk um, waving those branches and, and shouting Hosanna. And I thought that was a, such a beautiful thing to see, just kind of reenacting um, this history here. And I want to use, I want to give you some backstory. I want to give you the shadow in the Old Testament that uh, was leading up to the substance. That's everything that played out in the week before and the week of uh, Christ's death burial and resurrection and I'm just I just entitled this for lack of a better term I'm taking I'm stealing it right from the Apostle Paul in Colossians I want to entitle this discussion shadow to substance so uh, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna jump right into the <clears throat> Colossians 2 and I'm gonna show you where this comes from and then we're gonna go back to Leviticus 23 and see what God does with this and I'm gonna tell you in advance this is a different kind of a teaching than you're used to hearing from me a different kind of teaching than I'm used to giving to you. So, uh, but I think it's important. What I want to do today is validate God's plan from before the foundation of the earth, which was to sacrifice his only son, that mankind might have a way to be set right with him. Then I want to challenge you to obey that good news, whatever the cost. Father, I come to you today asking you to be blessed with what is about to be said, not because of me, but because of you. Lord, my heart's full, my mind is even fuller, and I need your help to uh, communicate this in a way that's going to speak directly to our hearts today and magnify your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by doing so, give you the glory that is so, so uh, incredibly due, your, your holy name. So I ask that you do that for the sake of your name. May you be magnified in our midst today. May we see the incredible planning and foresight that you had in, in the sacrifice of your son and how it was planned before the foundation of the earth. May you make clear what is not clear and may you make clear to everyone who hears this message exactly where we are in our standing with you. So many are standing on, on sand, on, an, on a foundation that is not firm, but they think because they've said some words that are apparently magical and maybe got wet either as a child in a in a baptismal or even as an adult in the lake, that this is what causes them to be in right standing with you. And we know from your word that that is not true. It is a deception that has been foisted upon the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. And I pray that you would undo that today. Open our eyes to the truth and help us to understand our desperate need for right standing with you through what Jesus, your son, did. May you make that clear today in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, let me take you to, you ready to, you ready to run through the Bible today? Shadow to substance. Here's where I get it from. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Let no one judge you in food or drink regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. Notice that's plural. Uh, which are, all these things, festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths, what are they? Which are a, say that word with me, shadow of things to come. Now notice this. But the, what's this word? Substance is who? It's of Christ. Now what is a shadow? Did you ever make those shadows with your hands when you were a kid? Back in the day, us old people will remember this, when they actually had film projectors in school. Do you remember that? And these kids have no idea what we're talking about, Bobby. <laughs> but that film, when it, when it would wrap up and it's just the, the, the white on the wall, and you put your hands in front of it and make shadows, a shadow is light against something that is it's light against substance. And the substance casts the what? Shadow. 
So I want you to understand this. Jesus is the substance. The light is revelation from God himself. God revealing himself to mankind against Jesus Christ creates the shadow back through the Old Testament. So I want you to picture history in this, in this way. Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, is the substance, he is the cornerstone, he is the rock, he is the foundation of all of history. And as much as our world hates Jesus Christ today, the year is still 2021. And what is that based on? They tried to change the name. It's no longer BC, it's CE. Y'all realize that in, in, in intellectual circles, it's, it's no longer appropriate to say BC, which stands for what? Before Christ, or A.D., Ammon Domino, which is the year of our Lord. They don't call it Ammon Domino anymore, the year of our Lord. It's called C.E., Common Era. But they can call it what they want to. C.E. is Christ eternal. Amen? They can call it what they want to. It's still the year of our Lord. Our whole, everything in our world and all of human history it, uh, uh, comes from before and after. And it all points to the pivotal coming of Jesus of Nazareth, who was the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the whole world. Amen? You cannot deny it. Jesus is the substance. The light of eternal revelation against the substance that is Christ casts the shadow, which is the Old Testament. And on the basis of that, let me bring you into the Old Testament. Let me take you on a journey this morning into the Shadowlands and show you the substance. If you've got your Bibles, Leviticus 23 is where we're going to be going. And I want to say this to you. God the Father planned everything out that happened to Christ the Son. He planned it out from eternity past. He said, I'm going to plan out the very day that my son dies. He set it as a date in the calendar. He even planned out the very hour down to the minute that his son would die. And he said, I'm going to even determine and pick out the songs they're going to sing at his funeral. I'm going to show you all of that today. And they had been doing it, the Jews, for over 1,500 years. This morning we're going to investigate the shadows and discover how Jesus was and is the substance that all of those events pointed to. You with me this morning? Yeah. All right, turn in your Bibles. It'll come up on the screen, Leviticus chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Here's what it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, here's his command, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim, to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Now, I know what you're thinking. You know, next week, Easter Sunday, you're, hopefully you're going to have some people over your house, and uh, we're going to have a feast. And when you think of feast, what do you think of? Food. One person. Anybody else here this morning? When you think of feast, you think of food, right? And I understand why we, we make that connotation, but that's, that's actually not what this word exactly means. Um, the word feasts in the Old Testament, and specifically here in the book of Leviticus, is, a, is an old word called moed. And it literally means an appointment. An appointment. I was going to pick up my phone, but we're using it for the live stream. I've got, a, I've got a calendar app. How many of you have a calendar app in your phone? I've got one called Opus One. It's really good because it reminds me of everything I need to know. Um, and, and it's my day timer. And every time something's coming up, I plug it into my, I make an appointment so I don't miss the appointment. You with me? That's what this word feast means. It, it's, it means an appointment a fix, fixed upon by, an, by agreement. It's a season. It, it, it's in the context in here of setting a wedding date. When you set your wedding date, do you think it's important that you let your future spouse know when that is? Yeah. Yeah, right? So it's, it's a setting of an important date fixed upon by agreement. Now, here's what you have to understand. There are two calendars. There's the Julian calendar that, that we live by, right? December, then you go, what, January, February, March, April. That's, there's that calendar, but then there's God's calendar, and they're different. God has different names. The months don't always coincide quite exactly. And so you have to understand that, and I'm going to use some terms today that are going to be unfamiliar with you, specifically the term Nisan, the month of Nisan, and you can roughly think the month of April. But God's calendar is different than the Julian calendar. And that's going to come into play here uh, in, in a minute as we understand it. 
So that word feasts is moed, and, and again, it means an appointment. There's also another word in there, and um, it's this word convocation. And um, Genesis 1.14, the, the Bible, you get that next screen, Sam? There we go. Here's what the Bible says. Then God said what? Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. But they're not just for that division. Look at the next verse or the rest of it. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Now we get the seasons, right? And we get the days and we get the years, right? Seasons, uh, winter, spring, summer, fall, right? The the we, we see that in the heavenlies. We get it for days. We get it for years. What is this thing about signs, though? Um, and that is, that is actually the, the Hebrew word oath, O-A-T-H. And it literally means a signal um, or an announcement. Um, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they basically are telling us what is to come. It's reminding us. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, uh, this theory, and I, I think there's some legitimacy to it. That when God created the world, at the beginning of creation, there was something called the gospel in the stars. And, and you know of the, uh, the horoscopes that people look to inappropriately today. That, that is a very dim perversion of what was originally the gospel. God tells the entire, his entire plan for the human race in the stars itself. And, and it is believed that Adam was fully literate in understanding the stars. Where did the, where did the wise men look to get the signal? Here's that same word the sign that the Messiah was born. They looked to the, to the heavens. They looked to the stars, and they were able to read that. So these, there, there were signs that things were about to change that we needed to get ready for something. Here's the other word. It's the word convocation. It's a holy convocation, he says. That's, how many of you use convocation in a sentence this week? I didn't think so. <laughs> All right? And it's the word mikra, M-I-C-R-A, mikra, and it just literally means a dress rehearsal. Um, anybody ever in a play when you were a kid? Remember going through the dress rehearsal before you did? We're getting ready to do a mock trial with my eighth grade class. And we will have several full-blown dress rehearsals because it's really more like a, a play than anything else. I want to make sure that everyone knows their parts, right? It's the dress rehearsal. You practice it so that when the time comes, you can pull it off in real time. So this word literally means dress rehearsal. So I'm going to read this to I'm going to I'm going to read this passage to you again, Leviticus 23, 1 through 2, in the PDV version. You know what? You ever know what the PDV version is? The Paul Jettle version. So this is my version, and I'm going to plug these words in, and, and this is going to be the foundation. Maybe they'll make a little more sense to you. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them concerning the divinely appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy dress rehearsals. Even these are for my divinely set appointments. Does that change the feel of that text now? And this is what the Hebrews would have understood it to mean as, as Moses read this to them. So these feasts that we see back in the Old Testament, what were they? It's right on the screen. They were, they were literally um, holy dress rehearsals for the coming of the Messiah. Think about that. These feasts were holy dress rehearsals. They were rehearsing the coming of Messiah. For 1,500 years, listen, that's a long time. For 1,500 years, the Jews were killing the Passover lamb on Nisan 14, roughly April. For 1,500 years, they've been killing this lamb on the same date every year. Um, and 1,500 years later, Jesus would come and he would die. Guess what date? Nisan 14. He would die on the same date. Why? They had been doing the rehearsal for 1,500 years, and Messiah would come, and he would be the real thing. He would be the substance. Isn't that amazing? And I'm sure that all this happened by accident, that God set it up that way. Uh, so, so look at Leviticus. You're still there. Just look down in the next few verses, um, verse 5 and 6 of 23. Uh, it'll come up here on the screen, Sam. Sam's got a, Sam's got a job up there today. Stay with me on this one. Here we go. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight, when was this supposed to happen? When the sun, what? It's going down, is the Lord's Passover. Now, here's something you've got to understand about that. I was explaining this to my class, my group this morning. When the sun went down at twilight in, in Hebrew culture, Jewish culture, that started the next day. So while it was still that day, as the sun is going down on the 14th of the day, 
It, that's, that's the Lord's Passover. Ghost 14 going into the 15th. So at the end of the day. All right, next verse. And on the 15th month, on the 15th day of the same month, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Uh, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. So in the, um, in the Jewish economy, um, they had these spring feasts, and there were three of them, and they ran in succession. It started with Passover on the 14th of Nisan. And then it, the very next day, at sunset on the 14th, um, they began the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So for seven days, all the bread they ate was that flat bread. And we're going to get into why that was. Um, and then after that, on the morrow after the Sabbath, the, the, the scriptures say in the law, so the day after the Sabbath that fell within that, so Saturday, the next day is what? What's, what's the day after Saturday? Sunday. On the day after Saturday, on the Sabbath of those three feasts was the third feast. And that's the Feast of First Fruits. And I'm going to show you how Jesus was, was the substance of every, every one of those feasts. So uh, 14th is Passover, 15th is, a, is unleavened bread, and, and first fruits uh, was, on that year was the 18th, which was right after the, that Sabbath of the next day. And then once first fruits was done, they started counting for their next feast. It was called Pentecost. Penta means 50. Um, they would start counting 50 days to, to Pentecost. Um, and for 1,500 years, that's exactly what they were doing. So from first fruits to Pentecost, they count 50 days. And then they would bring two loaves of leavened bread or regular bread um, to, to give back to the Lord. Because now that was their wheat harvest 50 days later. First, the first fruits harvest was barley. It was the first grain to ripen. And then they would begin the count we would say count down, the Jews count up. So if we were counting to 50, we would count down, 50, 40, not, but not them, they counted up. So it would be one, two, and it was building momentum. And then they had that wheat harvest, and everybody comes back to Jerusalem, and they bring their wheat harvest offering to the Lord at Pentecost. And for 1,500 years, the Jews had been celebrating Pentecost. The Jews were the first Pentecostals. They were Pentecostal before the Pentecostals were Pentecostals. They were celebrating Pentecost, right? And, and, and God is going to use that because it's, it's all a picture of what's coming. So three times a year, all of the men of Jerusalem, this was what was required. All the men of Jerusalem had to appear before the Lord there in Jerusalem. We find that, just jot this down in Numbers 9, verses 2 to 3. It was an appointed season or this holy dress rehearsal. Uh, and three times a year, the guys had to show up. Now, one of those times was the whole week. Uh, of those spring feasts. So everybody just hung around because you had to be there anyway. And then 50 days, they go home, do their work. 50 days later, they're back for Pentecost. And then we get into the fall feast, which, which will all happen in pretty quick succession too. So get that in, in, your, in your mindset. So let's go back to Passover. We're kicking off the feasts, right? And how many of you know, it says right there, let the children of Israel keep the Passover at the appointed time. Um, how many of you realize, I think, I believe that's number nine too, isn't it, Sam? What's in that? Do you have three up there too? Or no? Yeah. On the 14th day of the month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time according to all its rites. So at the, at the end of that, and its ceremonies, you shall keep it. So that's numbers nine, two to three. So here's the idea. Here's what would happen. Um, the, the Jewish people know how to have a good time. Uh, I think we've done a great disservice to our worship of God and that we've made it boring. <laughs> and, and, and the Jews knew how to take these feasts and festivals and make it a family party. Um, I don't know about you. When I think of Thanksgiving, I don't think of boring. How about you? No. What, when you think of Thanksgiving, it's a time of great rejoicing and family and, and fellowship, right? Same thing with these feasts. Same thing with Passover. So Passover's in the spring. All right. And this is where the idea of spring cleaning came from. How many of you realize that? The whole idea of spring cleaning comes from Passover. Because here's what would happen. In, this, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was the day after Passover, you had to have all of the leaven, and leaven's another word for yeast, if you can think that. You had to get all the yeast out of the house. Exodus 12, 15 basically says, you know, you get all that yeast and you get it out of the house. So jot that down, Exodus 12, 15. 
get all the yeast, clean it out of the house. No, as a matter of fact, it even says in there, oh, there it is. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove the leaven from your houses. For who, listen to this. God's serious about this. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day to the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. You're out. You're like out, out. So do you think they really want to make sure that all the yeast was out of their house? You better believe it. So they did a little spring cleaning. And they would clean the house top to bottom and, and get all the leaven out of there. Um, and so here's what would happen. They would do this right before Passover. Spring clean the house. And then dad would come in to inspect the house. And make sure that there's no leaven. And they would kind of make a, a, a fun game of this with the kids. And the dad would have a candle. And he would search the house uh, for this leaven. And mom would always leave a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven somewhere in the house, usually by the stove. And, and the father would go around and he would pretend to miss it. And the kids would make a big deal. Oh, there's some right there. Look, there it is. A little pile of powder. There's a leaven. And so the dad had this candle. But he also brought one of the kids would have a wooden spoon. And the other kid would have a feather. And another kid would have a, a piece of linen cloth. And what they would do is the dad would, light the, would, would, would bring the candle down there to see that pile. And he would get the kids over there and they would sweep that leaven into the spoon. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't touch it. So instead they would wrap it in this cloth, this linen cloth. And then they would take it outside the city, outside the camp, outside the city. And there was a big communal bonfire out there. And they would throw this spoon, this wooden spoon with a leaven in it that's wrapped in the in the uh, linen cloth, and they would throw it in there and burn it up. Say, well, what's that got to do anything? Well, I don't know, but Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it's a word of God. Leaven is always a picture of what, church? Sin. sin. And isn't it true that the light of the word of God is what reveals our sin to, to us, isn't it? Right? And then this wooden spoon, um, this wooden spoon, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 21, cursed is, is he who hangs on a tree. What is that? It's, the picture, it's a picture of the wooden cross. Do you see the symbolism here? The feather is the, is the Holy Spirit of God. He, he says in the, in the Psalms, under, under my wings do I conceal and protect you. So the feather is, is, is a sign of the Holy Spirit. Leaven is sin. They, 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 the Holy Spirit uh, does what? It's the Holy Spirit's the one that that puts the sin, in our sin, onto and into Christ. He hangs on that cross. And then he is, he is wrapped in linen grave clothes. And he is literally destroyed on that cross as, as the fire, the communal fire, uh, indicates the judgment of God. And where is it taken? Outside the camp. Where does Jesus die? Outside the city. Outside the walls of the city on a hill called Golgotha. One of the historians said, you knew one thing about a man carrying his cross outside the city gates. You knew he wasn't coming back. And, and these traditions that developed amongst the Jewish people were all so that they would not miss the Messiah when he came. They wouldn't miss the substance. And what happened? They missed him. And we need to take, we need, we need not judge the Jews. We need to look into our own hearts and say, what am I missing? If they, God's chosen people, could miss it, what am I missing? So we need not be prideful in that. Instead, it needs to cause us to be humble. So the kids would help their father get the leaven out of the house, and this, was, this is what they did. Now, do you remember, and we're going to get into that here in just a second, you remember when Jesus, after his triumphal entry, the Bible says he comes in, he looks at the temple and stuff, and then he goes back to Bethany for the night because it's late, but then the next day he comes back, and do you remember what happened that day? He sees all this business going on, and it was, it was, it was, uh, they were way overcharging for things. And Jesus got mad. Do you remember this? And he makes a whip out of three cords, and he weaves them together, and he drives everybody out of the temple. Now you'll know why he did that. He was helping his dad get the leaven out of the house. He says, for zeal of, 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 of your house has eaten me up. Jesus is helping his father get the leaven out of his house. And what does he say while he's doing that? My father said this would be a house of prayer and you have made it a den of thieves. He's getting the sin out of the house. He's helping his dad do what he did all those years growing up with Joseph, his earthly father. You see, that's the, that's the shadow and this is the substance. 
All right, so you're going to look at these events a little bit differently now, hopefully. Um, so who are we in the scriptures? Who are we, God's people in the scriptures? First Peter uh, 2, 5 says we're the house of God. We're living stones. We are the temple. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 5, we are commanded to get the leaven, to get the sin out. He's, and Paul says a little leaven affects the whole lump, right? Um, and, and he says, you are truly unleavened. Literally in there in the Greek is you are truly matzah. You are truly unleavened. You are truly without sin in your inner man, in your spirit. So live that way. Because this is true, listen, saints, we got to get the leaven, we got to get the sin out of our lives. It has no business being in it because God wasn't playing with that yeast in the Old Testament. If there's leaven in your house, you're out. Let me tell you something. If there's sin in your life, you're out. That's why Jesus had to bear it for us. And now as believers in Christ, we need not put up with any sin. And no sins are okay in the life of a believer. I don't know how clear I can make that. No sin in my life is okay. And listen to me, brothers and sisters. No sin in your life is okay. God's very serious about this. So, in Exodus chapter 2... You might want to turn, Exodus 12, excuse me, verses 3 to 6. We're going to notice something here. Is that the next screen? There we go. Look at, look at verse number 3. Speak to the congregation of Israel, saying, On the 10th of this month, and that's the, that's the uh, month of Nisan, by the way. On the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Next screen. According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. So one lamb per family. Now you say, well, what if... It's just me and my wife. Well, they got an answer for that. And if the household is too small for a lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. All right, is there one more? There we go. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. Um... So it's supposed to be without blemish, and it was basically one lamb to about ten people was the idea, because they figured one lamb could feed um, ten folks. That's how come the Jewish historian Josephus, this is interesting, uh, records around the time of Christ um, that they they slew in in what we what we can think is pretty close to the year that Christ was crucified. We think we got that about right. Josephus said. That year they slew 250,000 lambs, indicating that the population of Jerusalem went from about 150 to 200,000 people to 2.5 million people. Can you imagine what that must have been like? 2.5 million people from 150,000? That'd be like Macon, all of a sudden being swarmed with 2.5 million. If all of Atlanta came down and joined Macon for a weekend, can you imagine the insanity and, and, and what that must be like? And it was all for this purpose. Ten lambs to a person. Then we find out, now I want you to go in your Bibles to the book of John, the Gospel of John chapter 12, and I want to show you what's happening here. So on the tenth day of Nisan, you're supposed to take this lamb, right, and begin to inspect it. You've you got to inspect the lamb. Why do you got to inspect it? Because what does the lamb have to be? Without spot or blemish. It can't, it can't be a lamb with a broken leg. And you've got to watch it for a few days to make sure this lamb's good. It's got to be a, 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 a grade A lamb. All right? Um, now look what it says in chapter 12 of verse 1. Then six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, um, whom he had raised from the dead. So this is six days before the Passover. So if you figure that out, that's, think, the 8th of Nisan or the 8th of, of April. So Lazarus is there, and the Bible says in the next verse that they had this great supper, uh, and everybody wanted to come and see this guy that was dead and was now alive. And that, you can imagine, right? And the Bible even says in there, um, they made him a supper, verse 2, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Um, there it says they, that they... Everyone wanted to come and see this guy who had been raised from the dead. And the Jewish leaders hated this idea. It only made Jesus more possible, uh, pop, popular. And so they wanted to put, they, they got together and said, let's kill him. Let's kill Lazarus. 
Well, Jesus already raised them once. <laughs> Go ahead and kill them. They'll do it again, right? So they had this, and ultimately they did um, try to kill Lazarus. In, in church history, we, we see that. They put him and his two sisters on a boat and, and put them out to sea um, in order to end their lives. But they ended up landing on a small um, island, and they evangelized the whole island. And Lazarus supposedly becomes the pastor of that island and, and lives his life to the glory of the risen Christ. So here he is on the 8th of Nisan. He's up there. Think of the sunset on the 8th going into the 9th. Uh, Jesus comes to see Lazarus. And then it, it says on the morrow, the next day, 9th going into the 10th, we see that Jesus is getting ready. Verse 12. Um, the next day or on the morrow, a great multitude had come to the feast, to that feast. Uh, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him. And look what they cried out. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. You think they're getting an idea of who Jesus is now? I mean, he just raises Lazarus from the dead. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written. Now we're going back to Old Testament, fulfilling prophecy. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered um, that these things were written about him and that he had done these things with him. Um, so, that's the triumphal entry. So I want you to get this idea. They had this big feast for Lazarus. You can see up there a few verses in, in 12, verses 9 through 10. That's where the leaders are saying, we've got to kill Lazarus because, you know, this is not working out for us. Right? And then Jesus, the next day, is the triumphal entry where he comes into uh, Jerusalem on his donkey. Now, I think I've got a picture up there next. Do I, Sam? Next screen? Yeah, okay. We're going to... I thought I had a... I must not have put it in there, a picture of the temp, a map of the temple. No? Okay, I had that pulled down by then. So anyway, here's the deal. Let me tell you, you all remember Palm Sunday and, and, and the triumphal entry into Jerusalem? We know that he came in what's called the Golden Gate. It was a double gate. And we know that it's on the eastern side of the wall of Jerusalem. Well, it's really cool. I had a picture, but I didn't put it up there. Um, integrated into that wall, because I always think of the temple in Jerusalem as kind of in the middle of the city. Not true. Uh, the temple is actually integrated into the city wall of Jerusalem on the eastern side. The Golden Gate, you go through the Golden Gate, and then you're right just a little bit of distance, like not much at all, and you're right into the, the, the outer courtyard of the temple. So the temple's built into the eastern wall of Jerusalem. Um, and, and north of that, so think east is here, right? And, and it's not far at all. It, and it's also on the northeastern side. So the northern gate to the city is also right by the entrance of the temple over here. And it's called the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate. Now, why do you, and you can see, some of you have maps in the back of your Bible, you can see this in there. Why is it called the Sheep Gate? I'll tell you why. Remember, I told you how many lambs are going to be sacrificed this year? 250,000? Just ponder that for a minute. That's a lot of sheep, isn't it? 250,000 lambs. Well, on this specific day of the year, this 10th of Nisan, the high priest and all of his priest friends would get, the, get all these lambs together, and then they would take from those lambs, they would pick out, kind of like the county fair, the one prize lamb. And the prize that that lamb wins is he gets to be the sacrifice lamb for all of Israel that's going to be sacrificed uh, uh, on Nisan 14 on Passover um, so he, he's coming through the gate with all these lambs and then he's holding the sacrifice lamb and guess what they would do now he's right over here in the north that you can see the north gate from the east gate he's right over here coming in chief priest and it's a parade remember I said the Jewish people know how to celebrate it's a holiday um, you know we've been celebrating 4th of July for what a little over 200 years in the United States they've been doing this for 1500 years just do that math there and think about that. So they're having this big celebration, and here's what they... Cannot make this stuff up. Shadow to substance, right? Here, here's the shadow over here at the north gate, and they have their palm branches, because there's no palm trees in Israel, in Jerusalem. You have to go down to Jericho next to the river to get that. So they, they had already been to Jericho. They all had their palm trees. Did they know Jesus was coming? No. They're over there waving palms and singing a hallel, 
as the high priest is bringing the lambs into the, into the north gate. Well, at the same time, Jesus is at the eastern gate and he's coming in, right? And he's already got a crowd with him and they happen to have their palms because where are they supposed to be? They're supposed to be at the north gate welcoming the sacrificed lamb for that year. But they heard about Jesus coming in and so they're over there with Jesus waving their prayer. Well, what do you think is going to happen? These people over here see a commotion down here at the eastern gate and they're singing a hallel too and then word gets to them that the Messiah is coming through the gate. So the whole parade for the high priest and the priest gets ruined and everybody leaves them and goes down just 100 yards or so and they're welcoming Jesus singing the same song singing this hallel to Jesus, blessed Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. We've actually got it. Here's the substance. They left the shadow in order to come to the substance. Do you see what's happening here? All this 1,500 years of these dress rehearsals is actually taking place. The real drama is unfolding in front of them, but the priests don't see it. They're mad. He ruined their parade on Palm Sunday of all things. Can you believe it? So that's what's happening here. The real thing is taking place at the eastern gate. So these Passover lambs are being brought into the temple. Now, where are they coming from? Well, people either brought them, but more likely, just, out, just down the hill from that gate, is Bethlehem. Does that sound familiar to anyone, Bethlehem? Um, and and uh, Bethlehem, their whole gross national product in Bethlehem was sacrificed lambs. That's, that's why when Jesus was born, who was out on the, on the hillside keeping the sheep? A bunch of shepherds. That's what Bethlehem did. That's what they were known for. However, did you know that when, they, when, when Bethlehem got on the map, it was known for something different? You know what Bethlehem means? It's two Hebrew words, bet and lachem, which means house of bread. And isn't it interesting that the bread of life was born in the house of bread? And that these sacrificed lambs were literally raised right there in Bethlehem. So you could just go down the hill buy your lamb and bring it back up to, to Jerusalem for the sacrifice. And did you know, you know, we like our little manger scene. It looks like a little stable. It wasn't a stable. It was a cave. A uh, lot, very rocky. The, the western edge of Bethlehem is all stone walls. And they would dig out these little caves for what reason? They would put the sacrificed lambs in there. And if people could walk by these little stables, these little niches, and pick out which lamb they were going to use and buy it for the sacrifice for that year. And here the sacrificed lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is born right where the sacrificed lambs are housed. Shadow and substance. Do you see it? This is what's happening. Now let me run you through this real quick. And then I'm going to, I'm going to bring this to an end. But I want to explain what's going on here. Uh, so now what we see in the scriptures as God instructs the children of Israel, is that you take this lamb into your house on, on the 10th of Nisan and you're supposed to inspect him. You're, you're supposed to look, check this lamb out to make sure that they're without blemish. So we see the dress rehearsal versus the real thing of the inspecting of the lambs. The Bible tells us that it starts in Mark 7. Look what happens right after all this when Jesus comes in. Next day he comes back, he cleanses the temple, and then what happens? The, the Pharisees and Sadducees start peppering him with questions. Questions about divorce, theological issues, questions about the resurrection. Just They're trying to nail him down and cause him to slip up so that the people, he would no longer be popular and they could accuse him. What are they doing? They're inspecting the lamb. They're inspecting the lamb. And, and even at the end... Uh, when, when they finally get him arrested, they, they were trying to find somebody to accuse him. They finally had to get someone to come and, and try to make up some stuff because nothing would stick because he passed the test. And even when they bring him to the only authority that could execute him legally, Pilate, Pilate tries him and what does he say? I find what? No fault in him. The lamb, the Passover lamb, has been found to be faultless. He passes the test. Shadow, substance. God has this plan for over 1,500 years. He is, I find no fault in this man. So the lamb passes the test. So let me, let me show you this on the screen. I think this is next, Sam, the picture of the Passover Seder. There you go. That's the plate. And that's really a symbolic plate. Uh, how many of you ever been to a Passover Seder? Yeah, they're kind of interesting. Uh, we used to do them around here every once in a while. The only problem I have with that is it's a shadow, and we have the substance. 
And I don't think we need to be hanging around in the shadow when we've got the substance. Amen? <laughs> now, that's fine, and it's interesting, and I'm going to share some stuff with you that you might find interesting about it. What's super interesting to me is what it became, and they don't even realize it. The Jewish folks don't even realize it. The whole Passover Seder, of course, is, is remembering their bondage in Egypt and how God brought them out. And it was, it's remembering the whole narrative of the story. So, so what is, what's involved in it? Well, they would sit around. Uh, they would come in, like even the Passover that Jesus had with his men right before all this happens. Um, he sits them down, and we know that just from the setup is that John was sitting on his right because John was the youngest child. The youngest son always sat at the father's right hand. Um, and think about it, because most people are what-handed? Right, and most youngest sons are naughty. And so the father needed to have his right hand so he could control that youngest son. You get it? There's some very practical reasons for the seating arrangement. The oldest son always sat on his left hand, which was, the, which was a place of honor, and he didn't have to worry about the oldest son because he was the oldest. That makes sense? The Jews had some stuff figured out. Now, of course, they, were, they would recline at the table. So, so in this understanding of what's going on here in this Passover meal, John's sitting there to his right. And so John, being the youngest, had to ask the three questions. Whoever was the youngest would, kid would ask these three questions. And the first question was, why is this night different from all other nights? And boy, think about it. Now, that's all shadow, and Jesus is a substance. Now it's all coming to this. All of these thousands of Passovers for 1,500 years were all acted out because what was for this one Passover that was being done right now. These, all of these four questions for 1,500 years were asked by these kids so that John could ask them of Jesus because it all has significance. Why is this night different from all other nights? Why are we eating unleavened bread on this night and other nights we eat leavened bread? Why on other nights do we eat all kinds of herbs but only bitter herbs on this night? And why on other nights do, do we only dip once but on this night we, uh, uh, we dip twice? Why these questions, all these questions cause the Father to recount the story, the history of God saving Israel from underneath um, the bondage of the Egyptians. Egypt is always a picture of the world and, and, uh, and, and the idea of this, this salvation is God rescues his people from the world. So there's a few things in there. The, the horoset you can see over here is a, is a salad that's made with apples and raisins and cinnamon. It's actually quite delightful. And that was supposed to represent the mortar that, 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 that uh, they used to build even the pyramids. We're pretty sure that the, the Israelite slaves built the pyramids of Egypt. And it, that represented the mortar. Um, and and it's, it's a, to remind them of, of the work that they did. But it's also sweet because now they're reclining. Slaves never reclined to eat. A slave always had to eat standing up. But now we're free men. And we can recline at the table with this horoset, this, this uh, mortar. Uh, the other is the parsley you see there. And that represented the hyssop branch because they would take the blood from that lamb and they would dip it in the, in the hyssop and they would paint the doorpost of their house on that first Passover. Um, and that parsley represented And they would take that parsley and they would dip it in salt water. And then they would take a bite because that salt water was to remind them of the tears and the hardship of being in bondage in Egypt. There was also, you can see an egg up there. That's something that came to be incorporated in the Passover Seder. So what's the egg about? Well, that was the case there was more people that needed a second lamb. Sometimes they would do an egg. But the egg came to represent, years later, it came to represent the destruction of the temple. Anyone know when the temple was destroyed? What year? AD 70. That was Herod's temple. Uh, what, what about Solomon's uh, temple? Solomon's temple was destroyed in 587 B.C. The first, the grand temple, as it is often called. Um, and by the way, um, both of those temples were destroyed on the same date. This is where God's calendar comes in. It's amazing. They were both destroyed on, on the 9th of Av, think October. On the 9th of Av, both of those temples were destroyed. Um, and it's interesting. It was the 9th of Av that the ten spies came back and brought an evil report of the promised land. And on the ninth of all, both of those temples were destroyed. 
1290, on the 9th of August, all the Jews were expelled from England. In 1492, that should ring a bell for you history buffs. Um, on the 9th of Av, in 1492 in Spain, um, all of the Jews were expelled from Spain. On the 9th of Av, World War I was Hitler's proclamation to kill the Jews. And even in 2005, in the 9th of Av, all the Jews were ordered out of the Gaza Strip in order to give it, cede it back to the Palestinians. And it all goes back to an evil report of what God called good. Maybe we should be careful about that. So that's the egg. Now what I really want to get to, and then I'm going to be done, I guess, because our time is, is fleeting, is I want to get to the cups. And I don't have a picture of that, but I've told you this before. There are four cups that are involved in, in a Seder meal. How many cups, church? Four of them. Um, and while I'm going to tell you about that, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians. So I'm going to read you something here in a minute out of Ephesians chapter 4. Um, jot this reference out, Exodus 6, 6 to 7. Um, yes, Exodus 6, 6 to 7. And, and uh, this is where it's, com it's commanded. I'm going to turn back there. Uh, and in Luke chapter 22 and verse 20, um, we see Luke giving an account of that Passover. And it says, and Jesus, after supper, took the cup. You see that? When did Jesus take this cup? After supper. After the meal was over, he takes this cup. So there were actually three different cups in this Passover Seder meal. But I want to read this to you in Exodus 6. This is God uh, basically reminding the children of Israel what he did for them. Uh, Exodus 6 and verse 6, here's what the scripture says. Um, I'm trying to I'll find it in this Bible. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Um, I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. The four cups of celebration, the four cups of wine at this Passover Seder are found in those two verses. The first one is the cup of sanctification. He said, I will bring you out from underneath the yoke of the Egyptians. It's sanctification. I'm going to take you out of there. Um, and, and under this burden of the Egyptians, I'm going to remove their load. They're unburdened by the world, by sin. And again, imagine this Jesus leading this. The second one is a cup of deliverance. Um, he said, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to break the chains of bondage. Um, and you're not going to have to do any work at all. I'm going to do all of this for you. That, that, that Hebrew word there is avodah. It means no work whatsoever. God does every bit of this. And how much of it do you do? Sure. Nothing. How much of it do you do to save yourself or rescue yourself? Nothing. It's all done. See, this whole thing is shadow and substance. It's the cup of deliverance. He says, now, and, and then the third one, this is the cup he brings out that we celebrate at the Lord's Supper was this, sup, this one after dinner. It's the cup of redemption. Look what he says. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Oh, what a great cost it was for Christ to redeem us with his outstretched arm on the cross. Amen? Yeah. And it was interesting. In the Jewish Seder, right after this cup, after the main meal, something very significant would happen. Still happens today. The father, the Jewish father, the head of the table, would, would take out this bag. It was a three-sided bag, and it's called the matzotash bag. In the matzotash was three matzahs, think crackers. Y'all ever seen a matzah cracker before? By the way, surely coincidence, it is both striped and pierced, Isaiah 53. Um, and he would take these three matzahs in this bag, and he would reach in, and he would take out the middle matzah, Cannot make this stuff. Still, they still do this today. Father, Son, Holy Spirit takes out the middle matzah and he breaks it. And then he puts it in a separate bag called the afikoman bag. 
And then dad, Jewish dad, again, they're, they're going to make this fun for the kids. He takes it somewhere and he hides it. He hides it in the house somewhere um, at this point. And then um, when dad is done telling the whole story of the redemption of Israel, he lets the kids go. Go find it. And whoever finds it brings it back to the father, the Jewish father, and he has to redeem it, the third cup of redemption, he has to redeem it with silver coins. Can't make this up. Just like what Judas betrayed Jesus with. And by the way, you know what afikomen means in Hebrew? It means I came. <laughs> and yet they've missed Christ for all these years. All these years. And then the fourth cup is the cup of acceptance. And we see that there. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. I will redeem you. And once I have redeemed you and paid the purchase price for your salvation, then you will, I will take you as my own and you will be my people. You will be accepted to me because of the work of this redemption. And we see all of this lined out in Ephesians chapter 4. Just write that down, verses 1 through 7. Mark 14, 6 says, After that they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. We know exactly what they sang. It was Psalm 118. It's what we read this morning on our way in uh, uh, to worship this morning. Verses 21 through 24. Did I put that on there, Sam? Uh, Psalm 118, 21 to 24. You can pull that next screen up. Uh, yes, here it is. Let's read that. I will praise you. This is what they're singing after Jesus just has this Passover with them that all the other Passovers were leading up to. The substance, all the shadows cast by this substance of revelation right here. I will praise you for you have answered me. Listen to this. And you have become my... What was Jesus' name and his Jewish name? Yeshua. Yeah, which we would say Joshua... If you were Greek, you would call that Jesus. Did you know that Jesus is the Greek version of Joshua, which is the English version of Yeshua, which is the Hebrew version of all. Same name, three different languages. Does that make sense? Literally, Jesus' name is salvation. You have become my Yeshua. You have become my salvation. When Mary introduced Jesus to people, meet my salvation. This is my salvation. That's literally his number one name in, 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 uh, amongst Jewish people in the first century was Yeshua because they so wanted the Messiah to come. The stone which the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Here's what they're singing as they walk out to the Mount of Olives where Jesus will be finally and fully betrayed. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. This is what they're singing. Mark 15, 21, just jot that down. It says it was the third hour of the morning, the morning sacrifice, and they sing this next verse in the Hallel, which says, bind the sacrifice to the horns of the altar. Now we know, this is the next day Jesus has been betrayed, um, and it's the third hour. Does anyone know what the third hour, what time that would be in our time? It would be yeah, 9 a.m., 9 in the morning, third hour. And, and as, the, as <clears throat> this comes about, Mark tells us that for a reason, it's the time of the morning sacrifice. But this is a special morning because it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the morning of the Passover sacrifice. So it was a big deal. So out in the courtyard where this giant, uh, or, or in, in the yard where the uh, giant, when we think of an altar, we think of something small like this. It wasn't. It was a massive structure that had a ramp up to it. And at, at 9 in the morning, on this special morning, the priest would, high priest would bring that, Sacrifice the one lamb that was going to be sacrificed for everybody, and he would literally bind it to the horn. The altar had horns on the sides of it. He would bind it to the horns of the altar. He would tie it there in preparation for its death, its ultimate sacrifice. Guess what was going on? That's the shadow. Guess what was going on in substance just outside the gate on Golgotha? Jesus was being fastened to the cross at 9 a.m. in the morning. The third hour is when they did it. And, and Mark, uh, Matt, Mark tells us that. Then in Matthew 27, it tells us there was darkness from the sixth hour to the ninth. 
Now, those are both hours of prayer in the Jewish setup. And, and John 19.30, we find that at the, at the ninth hour, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cries out something. And what does he say? It is finished. To tell us that. It is finished. But would you believe that being the substance, it is finished. That at 3 o'clock at the very same time, just inside the gates of the city, less than a mile away, the high priest has just killed the sacrificed lamb. And at that same time, he has raised his hands. And guess what he says? It is finished. Shadow. The substance was just outside the gates being rejected and bearing the sins. What happened next after Jesus said that? Does anyone recall what the soldier does? He, yes, he had to make sure he's dead. So they take that spear, they run it right up underneath the sixth rib on the left side, pierce the pericardium, that sac around the heart. When you die from suffocation, that sac fills with a clear fluid. And the Bible says that blood and water flowed. That's, that's a sign, and they come out separate. That's a sign that death has actually occurred, physical death has occurred. Here's another interesting thing. Remember I told you that the temple was part of the wall of Jerusalem, integrated into the wall? Whenever the priest raised his hand and said, it is finished, it was a, there, were, there, were, there were Levites in, in the temple waiting to hear that. Remember I told you 250,000 lambs were sacrificed? Can you, all the blood of those lambs was kept, all 250,000 of them, in a large cistern. And behind that cistern was an even larger one filled with water. And whenever he said, it is finished, those Levites were listening and they opened the gate and all of that blood pushed out by that water, 250,000 lambs came gushing out the left side of the temple. They said it looked like the temple was bleeding out and it went down into the, into the Kidron Valley, which was the garbage dump of Israel. And as Jesus' blood and water flows from his side, the blood and water from all those lambs, the shadow, uh, is, is, is flowing into the garbage dump of Israel. We must not miss the significance of all of this. What's the point? What's the point? Here's the point. God planned this before the foundation of the world. He gave these dress rehearsals for these people to practice for 1,500 years because the real thing was coming. The substance was coming. And here's the sad reality of that. They missed the substance. They missed Christ. They rejected Him. And to this day, they walk in darkness. What's the message to us? If they could miss Christ, so can you. If Jesus was the substance that escaped them, even though they reenact his death, burial, and resurrection every time they practice the Passover, every single year up to today, <coughs> they still miss him. And if they can miss him, so can you. What's the other message for us today? We must obey the gospel. We must obey the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the most important question you should be asking me right now is, Preacher, what does it mean to obey the gospel? Here's what it means. You admit your sin. You repent of your sin. You reject your sin. And you accept and embrace your Savior, Jesus Christ, through faith. That's obeying the gospel. And a bunch of you folks think you've done that, and you have not. You have not. You are lost and undone in your sins. And you have to deal with a very righteous God. For those who have done it, those who are not sinners but saints, what's the message for this? The message is this. Get the leaven out of your life. Clean the sin out of your life. That's how Easter and, and, and Holy Week have been celebrated in the church since that first century. It is a time of, of fasting and prayer and the humbling of self so that we might... Allow the Lord to look deeply within our lives and we get the leaven. We let the Lord Jesus Christ get the leaven out of His life. It's not your life. It's His life. He bought you with a price. He is the substance that the shadow cast. We must repent and believe the gospel. 
We must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And by doing so, we must ruthlessly slay sin in our life and strip off the grave clothes that we've been learning about in Colossians. Because God planned this for our redemption and His glory. Now, if you're here today and you don't, you don't know if you know Christ, I want to encourage you today, before this day ends, would you tell God, I am convinced of one thing, God, I am a sinner and I'm really good at it. I've got my PhD in sinning and I have trampled your law with my life. Oh, I do the parts that I think are okay, but the stuff that I really want to do that I know is wrong, I do that too. And I've trampled your law with my life. And I realize, and I owe you an eternity in hell to pay for that. But that preacher said that your son, the substance, came 2,000 years ago and took my sin into himself and died in my place. And I received that. And by receiving that, I'm going to cooperate with you and cut out all this other sin out of my life. I'm going to slay these sins in my life and I'm going to strip off these grave clothes and I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. That needs to happen to a lot of us really soon. And that is nothing to play with. That's what the Word of God is about. That's what the Gospel is about. And we must obey the Gospel and we must ferret out the sin from our life and get the leaven out because... As Paul said in Corinthians, you are unleavened. You are without sin in the inner man. Now live like it. So for, this, for the Christian, for the saint, let God search your heart deep and get every bit of that leaven out of your life. It does not belong. For the sinner, come to Christ and become a saint. Repent of your sin. Receive Christ. Welcome Him into your life. And you will find that God is faithful. Would you stand with me as a we come to the end of this service today. Would you pray with me that God will have His perfect work in your heart as we embrace the substance that makes the shadow. Father, we come to You today. I pray that You would be speaking to hearts right now as only Your Holy Spirit can do. And I'm thankful that it's not my job to, to, to rescue or redeem or save anybody but that you're the one that does the saving. And I pray that right now you would be doing some rescuing work on some of, some of those who are hearing my voice even in this room right now. That you would convict of sin and you would, you, would, you would pull the scales off of eyes right now and they, they, we would see our sins for what it is and we would get real with you and honest with you. We would own it so that we can reject it and welcome Christ into our life as our King and follow Him and become His citizens of His kingdom for the rest of our days. May you do that for the glory of our substance who is Christ. May that happen as it is happening right now as people are hearing the truth of the gospel. May we obey it. May we get the leaven out of our life and put up with none of it because none of it fits on a saint. May we do this because of Christ and for your glory. In his name, amen.
Sunday at uh, 7.30. If you want to join me up at the lake and uh, we'll be back here at 11 o'clock. Let's sing that doxology as we leave today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye Heavenly host, praise Father.